Hey, I'm Jordan. And I'm Ashley. We're the founders of For the Good, a community created to empower and elevate you to live a purpose-driven life. Our mission is to bring light into our world, and to do so, we have learned that it must start with it. We are so glad to have you here with us. Today, we have a special guest, Rick Gutterson, who is a social worker, consultant, and former nonprofit director. He spent the past five and a half years leading a grief support organization that provides peer-based support programs to adults and children after the death of a loved one. Rick recently started a new adventure, transitioning to full-time dad, when him and his wife, Cheryl, adopted a baby boy named Jackson. Rick is joining us today to talk on how he has navigated difficult times and how they have led him to transforming them into purpose. Rick, thank you for joining me today. Hey, Ashley, thanks so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So I just want to share a little bit more about how Rick and I first connected. It was when I went to a grief support workshop in 2018 after my dad passed away, and Rick was serving the organization as an executive director. I'm glad Rick is here today to talk more about the experiences that he's had and how he was able to transform a time that could have hurt and hindered him, but he made the choice to use it to serve others. Rick, to get started, can you share more about your grief journey with us? Yeah, yeah. And uh, I really am really thankful for our friendship and it's been great working with you and serving with you. And so I'm thankful to be able to share with as many people as possible about uh, grief and loss so that they can find hope and, and healing. So I, my grief journey kind of started back in 2014. My wife's mom had just died of cancer and it was a really quick bout with cancer. And we had just been married for about 18 months at that point. And so as a husband, you're trying to figure out how do I support my wife through this? And, and just a few months later, unfortunately, uh, my mom died suddenly. Uh, she was going in for an eye procedure and um, into cardiac arrest during the the, the anesthesia and I remember getting the text message it was black friday and just getting this message saying hey something's wrong with mom please pray and you know you rush to the hospital and try to figure out what's going on and it was just um yeah it was it was really tough she she died the next morning and instantly you're thrown into this chaotic world of grief where nothing makes sense and everything around you is running in slow motion and you feel all these things and yet you you also feel numb at the same time. It must have been tough for you both to have experienced these losses so close to one another. How were you able to move forward in supporting one another, but also finding that healing that you need for yourself? You know, it was, it was hard because, you know, naturally, I think as people, we tend to think that what's best for us is best for others. And yet grief affects everyone differently. And so we had to learn, my wife and I are very opposite people. We're very different. I'm very social. And so talking to people and support groups and being in social settings is helpful for me but she's not that way. And so I kept, uh, originally before my mom died, I kept wanting to project the things that I thought would be helpful for me on her. I think one of the very first things I said to her after my mom died was, I'm so sorry, I didn't know what this felt like. And so we really approached of making sure we could communicate our needs to each other and giving us the space to handle it the way that we needed to handle it. And so um, I think our philosophy was really, it's okay to not be okay. And we can struggle together and that's really important for us because yeah we both are very different people and even though we lost the same relationship we both lost our moms um, the way we respond to grief is very different and I think that principle is universal across the board that we all grieve differently and we have to understand that and embrace that what does that look like for me and so that was that was helpful but you still have to go through it, it doesn't matter what you know I think the biggest struggle I had as a professional was 
I could analyze my grief all day long, but you still have to feel it. So feeling it, going through it yourself is the key to being able to carry the weight of other people's grief as well. I think it's really important that you focus on the fact that everybody not only grieves differently, but it's also a journey as well. And just to be able to allow yourself that time and understanding grace, compassion, and knowing that, you know, your grief looks different than the next person and that's okay. Yeah, big time. And you have to, uh, it's hard because the, the, those who haven't gone through it, they don't know that, right? Uh, and so there's, that's why people struggle with um, need support because around you may be trying to be supportive, but they don't know what it feels like. And so they'll offer their cliches or they'll offer their simple uh, pieces of advice that's not helpful. But then sometimes they'll also step back and almost treat you like you have some type of disease or that you have like alien nature to you where they're like uncomfortable by being around you because they don't know what to say. And, and for those grieving, that make it really, really tough. And so we had to kind of process that in real time with those around us. And again, doing it in our own unique way was, was really important. Now, as somebody who has experienced grief and also worked in serving other people in their grief, what are some ways that you found that are effective to be able to help people who have recently lost someone that they love? You know, I think the simplest way for, for me specifically as, a, as someone who is tasked with leading others through grief is you have to feel it yourself. And I, I had to change the way I viewed leadership. And I think that that mindset was huge. I had to basically lead from a position of vulnerability. You're, you're often as leaders trained to feel like you have to be keep it all together, to put masks on, to power through things. And that's not how grief works. For me, leading in both a volunteer setting and, and an organizational setting, I had to almost shift, shift my mindset to say, my job right now is to lead other people in understanding that it's okay to not be okay and that uh, they need to see what it's like to go through this for when they go through that or if they go through it, that they're not alone. As I do my own grief work, tap into that along with research and other people's stories and reading books to then um, share what I'm going through and what I'm learning and sharing the stories of what other people have gone through with those who are coming out. And so I think the, the principle behind that is that uh, whether you're leading an organization or leading a support group, you can only lead other people on a journey that you're traveling or you have traveled yourself. When people are going through workshops, like the ones that we've mentioned hosted by organizations serving people in their grief, what are a few steps people take as they navigate the journey? I think the first thing I learned was you have to feel it, right? It sounds cheesy, but you have, you have to feel the grief. You can't go around it. And I knew that because I was a social worker before my mom died. So that helped me because I'm typically kind of a pain avoider. And even in our culture, we're, we're taught that pain is something you're supposed to avoid. But that was really important to me because it gave me a commitment that I had to do the grief work. But the other thing is you have to do something with it. It's not just about you, right? So um, naturally, just like a physical injury, pain makes you turn your focus to yourself. And so, and it's, and it's necessary to heal. But if you stay there and you only look at yourself, you get stuck. And the hope and the long-term healing and transformation happens is when you're able to have experienced enough healing that you're able to see the needs of those around you again and you do something with it. There's this middle ground, right? There's this tension between um, allowing your losses or your tragedy to define you and kind of carrying that on your shoulder versus pretending like nothing's ever happened to you. And so I think those who are able to really use their experience for good, for helping others are able to find that middle ground. Their identity isn't wrapped up in who they've lost or what they've been through, but yet they aren't pretending like they haven't been through something or didn't experience loss. And so those who are able to wrestle with that tension are, I think are the ones that are really able to transform 
transform and transcend what they've been through and, and use it for the good of others. It's amazing how you can find that hope and healing in yourself when you serve others to bring that to them as well, just by sharing your story. And even when it is difficult, just coming out with that vulnerability. And I know that people don't like to say the word vulnerability or anything in relation to it, because it means that you're talking about something that is hard and tough and can make you feel different emotions. But it is so incredibly needed because so many people feel like they're walking a journey alone. But when we mm -hmm. open up ourselves and share what we've been through, it allows yeah. them to connect and understand that that you've made it through, that there's hope in that journey, and that they'll be able to find that healing along the way too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so important. There's a, a gentleman uh, who's a uh, you know psychologist who's, who wrote a ton of stuff. His name is Viktor Frankl, and he had lost his family in the concentration camps camps during World War II. And so much of his work was geared towards helping people find meaning in, in the midst of pain and suffering. And he shares so much of his own experience along with what he's learned in his studies and research. And I don't know how many books I've read that all reference his work, but he really talks about, uh, in fact, I just reread it recently. I don't have the exact quote, but it's talking about how the pursuit of success keeps you from experiencing success. It's when you find meaning by dedicating your life to serving a purpose or a cause or someone else that you actually experience the, the most uh, success in your life. But it's not by chasing it. When you chase success, you actually often fail. And so redefining what it looks like to be successful um, often starts with, especially if you've been through something, is this is a part of who I am now. How can I use this to help others? Thinking about all the people who share their stories of pain and tragedy, tragedy takes incredible courage and incredible strength. Um, or to voluntarily let your guard down in order to make yourself vulnerable is strength. And, uh, you know, thinking about soldiers in battle, there's, there's nothing with a guaranteed outcome to battle, and yet um, they're not viewed as weak. And yet they're some of the most vulnerable people that we know because they're putting themselves on the line with an unknown outcome. And uh, yet they're some of the bravest warriors that we can imagine. And that's really what vulnerability is. Yeah, it's so funny that you bring up Viktor Frankl because I'm actually right in the middle of reading it and I have the book by me right now. So I did find the quote that you mentioned and I'm going to read it so we can share that with everybody. And it goes, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you are going to miss it. For success, like happiness, cannot be pursued. It must ensue. And it only does so as the unintended side effect of one's dedication to a cause greater than oneself, or as the byproduct of one's surrender to a person other than oneself. I love that quote. And I, I just think it's really powerful. And, and it really develops what I like to call a mission mindset. You know, when you are dedicated to a mission, rather than a bottom line or a financial goal, that stuff takes care of itself, you have to trust the process. But you know, those who dedicate themselves to mission, and this isn't just a nonprofit or a social work thing, some of the best businesses and the best organizations are run because they're focused on mission rather than a product or a bottom line. And as soon as you start to swap that out, you see uh, organizations struggle and challenge. That's why so many founders in a nonprofit or a business who retire or who die, the DNA of what they started an organization with often starts to fade because the next person in line is hired to manage the details or to get a certain figure or to please stakeholders. Dedicating yourself to a mission or having a mission mindset goes back to the grief, right? So what can you do with what you've been through? It creates missions. How many amazing grief support organizations or nonprofits in general are started because of a tragedy in somebody's life that they've made a commitment to use to help for the good of others? This conversation reminds me of a quote I read that serves as a great reminder in times of difficulty. Life doesn't happen to us, it happens for us. And I think that a lot of people can often get caught up in thinking that these times are created to bring us down or 
to hurt and hinder us, but we have the power to turn it around and allow it to transform us while building up our strength and resiliency along the way. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I've learned about um, working with grief and loss and people who've experienced tragedy is that grief is a response to loss, not to death. And so if we can learn from those who've experienced these tragedies, but apply them to our other types of losses, like losing someone to incarceration or to divorce or losing a job or losing health status or income, if we acknowledge those losses and grieve them, it's going to help us in the long term. But when we don't, because we don't validate that or don't help make it feel important, it's really tough. And I mean, right now is so topical with the virus and the quarantines that we um, are experiencing all these losses and um, the loss of control is a big one, right? So understanding that and grieving each of these losses is is really vital. But uh, the other quote that comes to mind, especially thinking about everything going on right now in our culture and our world, um, Jerry Sitzer is a guy who wrote a great book called A Grace Disguised. And he experienced just devastating tragedy. He lost his wife, his mom, and his youngest daughter in a car accident to a drunk driver. And then the driver was acquitted later on, which just was devastating. But the quote that I, he shares, which I absolutely love, and I've learned so much from him, is this. It says that the experience of loss does not have to be the defining moment of our lives. Instead, the defining moment can be our response to that loss. It's not so much what happens to us that matters as much as what happens in us. And if we can embrace the transformational nature of, of of tragedy and loss and how as we heal, it turns us into something new. It doesn't mean that we don't hurt or ache, um, but it gives us hope in the midst of that. And it fuels us to develop a mission mindset, whether it's a specific mission um, tied to an organization or just something that you're dedicated to yourself. It, everything doesn't have to be a world-changing nonprofit venture. It can be, hey, I want to do this for people. And I'm seeing all these people making masks in their garage because they want to make a difference, right? So that mission mindset is what makes you successful. But it's that commitment and understanding that this is a transformational experience that is what develops that mission mindset. Thank you, Rick, for sharing your insight, experience, and knowledge focusing on the grief journey. It is a conversation that is much needed, as we've talked about, to shine a light on hope and healing as people navigate so they don't have to feel they walk it alone. And as we mentioned earlier, you recently made a transition from working as a nonprofit executive director to a full-time dad after you and your wife brought home your son, Jackson. Jackson came into your life through the process of adoption, and what a blessing for you and your family. This is another area that could use more conversation, so thank you again, Rick, for your vulnerability and courage to share with others. Can you talk on where the journey started for you and your family? Yeah, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities with the grief journey. Um, shortly after both of our moms died, we found out that we were likely not going to be able to, to conceive a child together, um, and that was really hard because so much of your social world is, revolves around other families families with kids and you feel really alone in that. And so it took us a couple of years to really kind of grieve that stage of life. And um, ultimately, similar to what we learned with um, losing our moms, we knew that we would get stuck unless we did something with this experience. And we didn't know what that looked like. And, and then we weren't quite ready for a couple of years, but we finally um, decided to maybe start attending some adoption orientations or foster care orientations and finally felt like we were ready to, to adopt. But it really came with thinking about not so much us and the void in our family, but it, it came with thinking there's, there's a child out there somewhere who needs us um, and needs uh, a family who knows knows what it's like to go through loss because 
adoption, there's so many losses with that as well. And so once we kind of came to that mindset, we finished the orientation, um, we got all our paperwork and all the, the stuff done and got our home study approved. And the crazy part about it was that they had told us on average to, to adopt a baby, it's like a 12 to 18 month waiting period. And so we were kind of prepared for that. They said, well, we do know some people that was like three, four, six months. And so we'll just kind of prepare. We got an email, I think it was four and a half weeks later after getting our home study approved. So, hey, there's a little baby boy who was born. He was born 10 weeks premature. He's in the hospital on a ventilator right now. Would you um, be willing to have your family profile shown to the biological mother? And we're like, sure. And this is the first time we had gotten that email. And she said, right, you'll know more in a couple of days. And uh, we got a call the next day. It said, the mom picked you. We're like, what? Oh my gosh. And just like that, you're thrown into this like whole nother world. And so we're like, we aren't prepared. We don't have everything ready, which, you know, my, my wife said it best. She said that it was like finding out that you were pregnant and giving birth on the same day. And I was just like, that's the greatest way to describe it. Cause all of a sudden we're like, this is, we're now responsible for a little child. So that in itself is another story, but there's a you know, five or six days of up and down stuff. But when we met that little boy, we just fell in love with him so much. So his name is Jackson. And uh, in fact, he's eight months old now. We, um, we legally adopted him and uh, so yeah we are the parents to a little precious boy through adoption and it's changed us forever it's been a really really incredible journey yeah you and your family experience a lot of change in a short period of time as, as you've been talking about and that includes you know bringing home this newborn baby into your life into your home into your hearts and then transitioning from a nonprofit executive director role into becoming a full-time dad. So can you talk a little bit more about what that change looked like and felt like for you and your wife during that time? Yeah. And, you know, I think the the thing that was equally as scary because becoming a father out of nowhere was scary, but also the thing I wanted to talk about was um, it's kind of the commitment, you know, the major challenge or major change our family had to go through in order to care well for our son, you know, to go from being the executive director of a growing nonprofit to making the really tough choice to say, you know, to, in order to serve my family, my mission is changing um, to go from my mission is to lead a grief support organization to my mission is to raise this young boy financially and health insurance wise. We knew that my job had to gain more flexibility. And so um, having enough confidence in who you are uh, and security in your own skin to not need the, the title of executive director to define you. Um, we, we chose that I would be stepping down from that position and, and changing my title from director to, to daddy. And um, that in itself is a major transformation. That first couple of weeks, I couldn't get my brain to stop racing about data and spreadsheets and all these things. And uh, if you don't work through that, you're not present for your child. And so surrendering that and letting go of that and just going, my number one priority is caring for my son um, is incredible. And so, and then doing whatever you can with that of, you know, um, you know, my, my purpose and, and everything has changed. And so bringing meaning to this experience by you know, making little videos or um, talking to other people who are going through experience, um, doesn't, your, your worth doesn't come from a title. Your worth doesn't come from accomplishments. People's worth comes from what they do with their experiences and the value inherently in who they are as a person. And so then you can invest that value in the lives of other people. And so that's kind of my new mission mindset. What a blessing. And it sounds like he came to you just as it was meant to be. You know, this was meant to be your story and he was meant to come into your life for a greater purpose. The story itself is unbelievable. I still can't process the reality of it. Like, you know, adoption is expensive and we had saved up money for adoption, but we had raised and saved about half of what we needed. And so 
when we got our home study approved, we put a, a GoFundMe page out there and said, hey, we need, still need to raise about $15,000 to cover the cost of adoption. And so we thought we'd have months to raise this. We had fundraiser dates, we had all these things, and the money just started coming in. I literally shared the page one time. I didn't have to promote it. I didn't have to do anything with it. Within four weeks, we had raised the full amount. And that same week was the week that we met Jackson, that he was born. So we met him a couple of days after he was born. And I was like, you can't, you can't make that up. You can't script that out. And so for us, it was like, uh, just, this is the child that we're supposed to be raising. And so even now during everything, we're so glad that we're able to care for him and he's able to be a part of our family right now in the midst of all the craziness right now in the world. Yeah. It sounds like you experience a roller coaster of emotions during this time, you know, going from learning that you and your wife are unable to conceive a child together to bring home this newborn baby in a much shorter amount of time than what people were telling you to anticipate. Can you share with us a little bit more about the emotions that you felt during this time? Right. I mean, it took us a few years, including kind of changing our entire social circle because so much of our social circle revolved around young families. And it was heartbreaking to go places all the way all the time where everything revolves around talking about your kids and or hearing people talk about like complaining about their kids and how tired they are and having people joke, oh, you can have mine. And just, you put on a smile, just like with the, the grief journey, you put on a smile, then you go home and you cry. Like if you only understood how hurtful the things that you're saying are, you know? So we didn't want to go into an adoption situation carrying that ache or carrying that big open wound. We wanted to experience some healing. And so we had to kind of change a lot about our personal lives in order to kind of be in an environment that was supportive so that we could just talk openly about the challenges with that. Um, and through that is uh, really when the idea came and we needed to, to do our own healing. So there's a lot of ups and downs in that. Um, but also uh, the adoption almost fell apart. We had been selected by mom and um, we went to the hospital the next day to sign the paperwork and meet the baby and mom never came back to sign the paperwork. And so we got the call from the social worker and said, Hey, I'm sorry. We, uh, we don't know what's going on. We can't get a hold of her. And for 24 hours, they weren't able to establish contact with the biological mother. And so they said, at that point, you have to contact CPS and it's no longer an adoption case. It's a foster care case where the police are informed because it's a, it's treated as a neglect case. And just like that, um, we went from, Hey, we're going to be placed with this child to, Hey, you didn't get a chance to meet him. And now he's going to go into the system. And even though he's still in the hospital in an incubator, because he was born premature and there's no one there caring for him. And we were just so devastated. And I was so angry because you know, especially as a social worker, you're like, who do I need to fight and talk to and advocate with? But I had to release that and let that go. And our prayer became just to, all right, we don't know what's going on, but we have to surrender the outcome of this experience. And so it wasn't literally until a couple hours later that we got another call from the social worker and said, are you up for another adventure? Mm -hmm. Sure. They said, we found the mom. She's ready to sign the paperwork. Let's do this. And we met them the next day and our lives were changed forever. Going back a little bit, you shared more on a community that you and your wife found support in during this adoption journey. And as you and I both know, we have found a great sense of that community in these grief workshops that we've been to. And I think that we have to really focus on the point that community can uplift us and support us and bring us higher during these times. And it is a great place to also find that hope and healing that we're looking for as we learn to navigate these tough times. Yeah. So I think the first part was, is um, figuring out what kind of community you need to be a part of. So with the grief support programs, we would place people into groups that were based on the type of loss you experienced or your age. So, cause life situation is a big part of it. It doesn't matter sometimes how, how empathetic you are. Sometimes you just want to be around others who have been in a similar situation. And so for us, we needed to get plugged into a group at church that 
didn't revolve around children. The group's focus didn't revolve around caring for children. And so we could just open up and share about that. And they were really supportive. The leadership of the group helped really create a safe environment for us to open up. And if there was someone who accidentally said something inappropriate or hurtful, that behavior or that statement was kind of talked about or corrected in that moment. So um, that was really important. And then I think we had to have a close knit circle of friends that it didn't matter if they had kids or not, but we could be our unfiltered selves that we could share openly and not feel like we had to tiptoe. And that was incredibly helpful because um, our, our best friends, they, they've been through a lot themselves, but also they were there for us to just be a support. Uh, even now, so with adopting them, they've been babysitting and helping us get some sleep. And uh, it's been amazing. What is a message that you would share with other families who are learning to navigate this adoption journey right now too? Gosh, uh, I would say that if you embrace the journey, and you embrace the unknown and just show up. You know, we talked about vulnerability earlier. There's a lot of vulnerability in adoption because there's no guarantees for anything. You don't know if you're going to get picked. You don't know if if you are picked, you meet that baby, if the adoption is going to finalize. So there's all these variables. And so if you protect yourself from the pain that could come with the adoption journey, you're also going to limit your impact on the child or limit your impact on those around you. So you have to, similar to so what we talked about with losing a loved one, you have to feel it and you have to embrace it and you have to open yourself up to it and, and go into the right mindset. And then if you do experience pain or tragedy in the midst of that, especially if it comes from experiencing a loss, like so whether it's infertility or the loss of a pregnancy or a loss of an infant, um, you got to do your own healing work so you don't bring that open wound into it. There needs to be some healing before you jump right into adoption because you can't expect the adoption to fix the pain. You have to have done your work with that, I think, to, in order to have a really good experience so you don't bring that into the adoption. While we talk on your journey and transitions you have experienced, I think it's important for us to mention how it spotlights how our purpose in life isn't just one thing and that it isn't attached just to one job or one title, as you said, and it can change and shift and transform along the way as we allow life to guide us. Right. And to be able to invest the things that we've learned on our grief journeys and, and in the professional setting into this young boy, as he grows up, he's going to understand the different types of losses that come with adoption, you know, losing um, your biological mother um, and losing all of the things that go along with that. We, we are going to have to help raise him in that environment. And so that's going to be really vital. And so I almost feel like that season of life was to prepare us also for this new season of life. And, but yeah, I think the, the place that from a leadership perspective where leaders get stuck is leaders have a hard time sometimes letting go of titles or status or acknowledgement. And that's where they get stuck on their leadership journey because they need that stuff and they aren't able to let go of it because they need that to, to make themselves feel valuable or they need that affirmation from it. And so, but it takes just like everything we've been talking about, you have to grieve the loss of a title. You have to grieve the loss of an identity in order to make yourself available for a new beginning. And so there's definitely a season of transition and adjustment in that. But if you need that to feel valuable, then you're going to get stuck. And so surrendering that um, was, was huge and feeling like this is my new mission has really um, opened my heart up to really, I think, being the best father I can possibly be. And you've been sharing a lot of these new messages on your new YouTube channel. Can you share with us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So, so one of the ideas that I had uh, was to really fully embrace this new role as a dad. And uh, I started creating these videos called Teaching with Toys and taking some of these more in-depth 
concepts of processing emotions like anger or fear, but teaching them in a way that can equip parents to have really important conversations with their kids. And so uh, the first episode was about managing anger. And we examined kind of the story of the Incredible Hulk and how to manage our anger through his story. But then the second one we did was talking about fighting fear and finding courage. And so we talked about Captain America. We talked about Emperor Palpatine from Star Wars and picking up your shield in the midst of battle and that uh, finding courage. And so they're just uh, YouTube videos. You can search for teaching with toys on YouTube or search for my name, Rick Gutterson, and they'll pop up. But my hope is to start creating more content for teachers, for educators, social workers, parents, to really have meaningful conversations with their kids, but in a fun way that they can really relate with. So yeah, that's been really, really important. And then also just taking the same concepts, but applying to a leadership setting. So, so many of our leaders need support and yet the title of leadership often can create a mask and create a lot of loneliness. Like we don't have a place to share and connect. So I'm in the process of developing a podcast uh, called the Behind the Image podcast that'll be for leaders to really be able to let their guard down. And, and uh, not only are they gonna get practical tools that they can apply to their situations, but also more importantly, to have a sense of, connection and community with others where they can have honest and open conversations. So you mentioned your YouTube channel. Where else can people find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me um, social media, Rick Gutterson, uh, G-U-T-T-E-R-S-O-H-N uh, at Twitter, Instagram, and then also my website. I, I'm still, still developing it, but it's rickgutterson.com uh, where I'm starting to try to put the links to the videos and things like that on there as well because I really want to serve people uh, best as possible, whether it's a, a grief situation or a nonprofit situation or just, again, creating content and tools. Kind of my new mission is about equipping both individuals and organizations to increase their impact and help them identify their mission goals so that they can feel like they've found their sense of meaning and purpose in life. Well, thank you so much, Rick. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And I know it can be difficult talking about the stories in our lives that are difficult, but I appreciate your vulnerability and your bravery in showing up and helping people and serving the world for the good. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ashley. I really appreciate it. It was really fun to catch up with you and uh, good luck with the podcast. I've listened to a couple of episodes and I love what you're doing with For the Good. I think it's a great way to reach people um, in a lot of different platforms. Uh, online and uh, podcasts. So keep up the great work. If you have experienced a loss of a loved one or are currently going through the adoption process, as Rick and I talked about, there is power and support in community. You do not have to walk your journey or experience how you feel alone. We encourage you to get connected in a way that supports and uplifts you. Thanks for joining us at the For the Good podcast. We would love to connect with you. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at ForTheGoodOfficial and our blog at ForTheGood.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Remember, a positive mindset is the beginning of true happiness, not just for the good of the individual, but for the good of the world.